Welcome to the Health Trip Podcast. My name is Jill Foos. I'm a functional medicine and integrative nutrition health coach. I created this podcast to bring you along as we travel down intriguing science-packed roads, debunking old medical paradigms and perusing new innovative therapies and modalities with the finest functional medicine doctors, practitioners, and like-minded biohackers while living our best life. Enjoy the show. So if you've been a listener of mine for some time, then you know I have five kids, four of which are high-level athletes. My boys started playing hockey since they could walk, one of them eventually hopping over the glass to focus on football, but all landed in college hockey and football, and one went on to skip college and entered into the pro hockey arena at age 16. I'm so proud of all of them. Didn't come without a price though. All of this success came with 15 different surgeries on their hips, their knees, ankles, and their shoulders. And uh, you name it, and we had an ice machine body part to fit every limb and every hip. I became a professional ice machine filler many years ago. We actually had a room on our first floor that we eventually dedicated to recovery with real hospital beds, ice machines, and various video game setups. It was insane. I am so excited to have this very special guest on today to talk about all of the greatest and latest non-invasive regenerative medicine options for the many people out there who are injured athletes or fitness junkies themselves or schlepping their kids around to all the various sports hoping they don't end up having to go under the knife to fix something that maybe could have been dealt with differently. And also having all these sports injuries will eventually lead to um, osteoarthritis. So today my guest is Dr. Elizabeth Yerth. She's the co-founder and medical director of Boulder Longevity Institute. She obtained her medical degree from the University of Southern California Keck School of Medicine and completed her residency at the University of California, Irvine. Along with her 25 plus years as a practicing orthopedist Specializing in sports, spine, and regenerative medicine, Dr. Yerth is also a double board certified in physical medicine and rehab and anti-aging regenerative medicine. She is a Stanford uh, affiliated fellowship in sports and spine medicine and a dual fellowship in anti-aging and regenerative medicine and anti-aging regenerative and functional medicine through the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. That is a mouthful. Dr. Yurth has also completed a fellowship in human potential and epigenetic medicine and is part of the first cohort of providers to receive the A4M National Peptide Certification and is a faculty member and national lecturer for both A4M and the International uh, Peptide Society. She's a member of IPS's very first peptide mastermind group comprised of a small elite group of national peptide experts. She's completed over 500 hours of continuing medical education training in the areas of longevity, epigenetics, nutrition, bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, regenerative peptide treatments, and regenerative, regenerative orthopedic procedures. As an athlete herself who has dealt with numerous injuries, Dr. Yerth is thrilled to share with her clients all the innovative life-changing treatments that are on the cutting edge of medicine. Needless to say, we all need a Dr. Yerth on our health squad. And she's also a mom of five, so I can totally relate with that, being a mom of five myself. So, um, Settle in, open your mind, open your ears, and let's get started on this 
intriguing podcast with Dr. Yurth. Hi, Dr. Yurth. Welcome to the Health Trip Podcast. I'm so excited to have you here today. Bill, thanks for inviting me. Um, I get to talk on my favorite subject. Yes, right. And and before we dive in, though, we both have five children. Yeah. And I can tell you, mine are uh, four of my boys are you know big athletes and have had like 15 surgeries. So I'm Yikes. super interested in right. learning even more about regenerative medicine. But what about yours? Have they faced any? Um, so yeah, I think I said my youngest was 18. Actually, my youngest is still in high school, 15. I forget about him. You know, your fifth kid, you kind of forget about. <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs> totally. It's just, yeah, he, he often says his older brother is raising him, not him. But um, right. so, yeah, so I, I have three boys, two girls. Um, so fortunately, I have, I have a little bit more of a, of a mix, but my kids are all very, very big athletes as well. So they're all played, you know, you know, basketball, every sport. And certainly we've had our share of injuries as well. Fortunately, not as many as your kids have had. So maybe you guys played football. I don't know, but um, <laughs> mostly ice hockey. Oh, ice hockey. Yeah, that's right. In Chicago. That's right. Not, yeah. not quite as big here in Colorado, but yeah. well, now the abs are doing well. So it's getting bigger, but, <laughs> but um, I, I can tell you that I am very proficient on all ice machines. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, and I think one of the keys and one thing we really need to address is why is it so important to understand as parents that these injuries that you sustain at that age are, are going to impact you later on unless we address them differently than we are right now. Absolutely. You know? We're definitely going to talk about um, that longevity and the possibility of it rolling into a, an osteoarthritis um, situation. But before we start all of that, I want to know what, because you started your medical training in the field of orthopedics. So right you know, traditional. Right. So it's, exactly. It's kind of a far cry, right. To get into kind of more of a functional medicine realm. Um, and in fact, it's, I think it's why orthopedics is lacking so far behind this functional medicine world, right? It, it seems like everybody else, there's at least, you know, awareness of it, at least to some degree, more probably in the internal medicine crowd or family practice crowd, but you know, orthopedics is kind of lagged behind. We never think of it as an age-related disease. So, you know, so much these age-related diseases and orthopedics, they don't seem to overlap. But what I found, and this started maybe, oh my gosh, about 18, 19 years ago now, you know, I've been in, was in medical practice about 32 years. And, um, and I started, you just would, you know, some, have somebody come in with a shoulder injury, let's say, and you put them in PT and you maybe put some steroids in it and they'd be like, oh, okay, I'm, I guess I'm kind of better. And they'd sort of go on and then they'd come back, you know, three months, four months, six months later. And they go, yeah, my shoulder's still not great. You know, and then they, you do the same thing over again. And then you go in and scope the shoulder and then they'd kind of be better for maybe six months. And then they would start to go downhill again. And the same thing true with knees, right? All these orthopedic injuries, you know, basically come in, you go to PT, you stick some steroids in, ultimately somebody sticks a scope in it, cleans it up. And then the next stage from there is really you take a downhill course into a joint replacement or just chronic arthritis and pain. And so I started to go, God, there's got to be something I'm missing here, right? That, that nobody really ever gets better. I mean, there's a few injuries that get better, right? If you have a, if, if you, if you're a kid and you have a broken leg, it's probably going to heal pretty well. But most of those, those ligament injuries and tendon injuries, most of those, those musculoskeletal injuries that, that most of us sustain don't really ever get completely well, they get good enough. So I started to explore where am I going to help these people more? And that kind of started me on the line of how does nutrition play a role? How do hormones play a role? You know, how does your life in general play a role in these injuries and your recovery from these injuries? 
you know, and why does that get worse as we get older, right? Why, when you're younger, do you feel like you recover? And then as you get older, you know, less and less so. And so I went back and, you know, kind of when anti-aging or regenerative medicine was kind of in its infancy, remember the old A4M anti-aging yeah. regenerative conferences were a small group. They weren't huge. Now it's huge. Um, and so I went back and did a fellowship in, in functional medicine, regenerative medicine. And, and I incorporated that into my orthopedic practice. But remember in this kind of traditional medicine realm, you have 15 minutes with patients. And so here I was 15 minutes trying to, you know, examine their knee, get their x-rays, go over their x-rays with them. Uh, and then explain to them how, yeah, you're starting to develop some arthritis. So we really need to look at how, you know, what are your hormones and what is your diet? And you can't do that in 15 minutes. So I subsequently opened another practice that was a, just a functional medicine, regenerative medicine clinic and would do kind of orthopedic hat during the day. And then at night I'd go over to my, my what, what I consider more real medicine clinic, right? Where I would actually feel like I could help these people. But it was always this little bit, Sorry about that. It was a little bit of a dichotomy of um, the, the orthopedic piece. I would sit there and go, God, there's so many things I should be telling this person. And I'm just not because I don't have time. Right. So, but I did that for a lot of years and, you know, and partly because it's just very hard to change your life and, you know, what you've been doing for a long time. But then finally, really about just a little over a year ago, just brought all the orthopedics into my functional medicine clinic. And now we set up the orthopedic patients for a long appointment where we, you know, we talk about all of this stuff. We work on their injury. We talk about all the stuff. We work on their health. And then we progress them into, you know, regenerative therapies as appropriate. You know, if they do need surgery, we'll refer them for that. But, you know, certainly a lot of people don't. And the key is trying to prevent people before they get there. So that's what kind of got me down this road. And so now my clinic, Boulder Longevity Institute, is sort of this combination of, you know, health medicine, orthopedic medicine, all put together. But I, I think the key there, and, and, you know, it's so funny to me because, you know, when you look at like what you do as a health coach and, um, and you know, you, people think about the diseases of aging, your heart, your brain, right? Mm -hmm. Your metabolic health mm -hmm. and, and orthopedics has never been thought of really as a disease of aging, but just like using your brain too much is not what causes your brain to wear out. Using your joints too much is not what causes your joints to wear out. It is the exact same process that's going on in your brain or in your heart it's just attacking different joints, right? Or different places. Mm. So that's what we have to start understanding and changing the focus on. It's why if you have osteoarthritis, you know, wear and tear arthritis, yeah. you have a higher risk of heart disease. And people are like, well, that's because you become less active. It's not. It's because the same inflammatory properties are going on inside the joint as these other places. So mm. that's the paradigm we have to change. And orthopedics is this kind of like, Final. I'm probably the only one out here preaching this, quite frankly, is that, you know, because I, I listen to, you know, all these doctors and, and you know, and on podcasts and everything, and everybody's talking about all this inflammatory process, what we call inflammation, right? And it's related to, you know, brain disease, dementias, cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, everything that is related to aging, which is a disease in itself. Arthritis is no different, right? And if we start understanding it that way, then we're going to be able to hopefully prevent it instead of just replacing the joints when you end up being 60 years old. I have so many questions right now that are <laughs> not on my outline. <laughs> um, my first question is, when you first even brought in this functional medicine, regenerative approach into your traditional practice, what was, how did your current patients receive the information? Patients in general loved it. 
you know, people, they're like, wow, okay, yeah, I, I, I get that. I get that, you know, that there, there's something more. You're right. I'm not getting better. You might, my, one of my, one of my old partners at Praxis was at before, um, you know, I was at a small orthopedic group and then we merged with a larger one, but the smaller orthopedic group and one of the, the guys have been there a long time. He was one of the older surgeons there and he had this, this big thing on his wall that somebody had crocheted for him. One of those patients had crocheted that said, you know, after 50, it's just patch, patch, patch. And that's what you, you sort of feel like, okay, that's all you're doing. And so patients loved the idea that, wow, maybe you can actually heal me as opposed to just patch me up. Mm-hmm. Who didn't love it were my partners. Because if you spend too much time with patients and you do less surgery, um, you know, and less procedures, you're not as financially contributing. So where that paradigm doesn't fit well is with a financial model of medicine, right? Is that, right. you know, you're getting paid by Medicare, whoever it might be, you know, $50 for that appointment, and you took 30 minutes of time instead of 10 minutes of time, it, it doesn't bode well for the practice. And, you know, and I understand that. So basically, you know, my partners were kind of on my case. In fact, one of them once said to me, you know, he, he said, you know what? He goes, we do orthopedics here. We don't do medicine, <laughs> you know, you know, and, and, and that really, you know, orthopedists don't think medicine, right? That's not what they think. And, you know, so, but joints need to be thought medically. And so where people loved it, medical doctors, not so much. And I think that that probably happens in, in, in the functional medicine world a lot, where the traditional medicine doctors look at a lot of things that, you know, you do and I do as quackery, right? Because it doesn't fit with their paradigm, doesn't fit with their model. And because we're trying to work to actually eliminate a lot of the things that they do, you know? And so my goal is to eliminate the need for surgery. Yeah. That doesn't really fit well with a whole, it's it's kind of like curing cancer. There's very little incentive to cure cancer because it's a multi-billion dollar industry. So are joint replacements. Joint replacements are huge money, both for the companies that make joint replacements and the doctors who are doing them. So shaking that model up is not, you know, is not particularly favorable in that world, right? right. So, and it's really one of the reasons that finally led me to kind of say, you know, I'm just going to have to split ties. This doesn't, our two paradigms are too different and, you know, and move into kind of a, a world where I could, I could teach patients the way I wanted to and get lab studies on patients and understand how hormones replace, you know, we're affecting joints and things like that. Right. And as long as we're talking about the healthcare model, I mean, I think it's important to say that functional medicine is mostly cash pay, right? Right. So here we are, we spend a lot of money on our health insurance policies. And at the end of the day, if you want to go down the path of regenerative medicine to mitigate or heal your, and manage osteoarthritis, for example, um, either way you're spending money. Yeah, I, I think what people and and it's you know it's the biggest thing you get right is that you know I, I have this health insurance and you know I pay all this money for my health insurance so I don't want to pay more money for you to sit down with me for an hour and a half and go through labs and fix my hormones and fix everything else because because I, I, I that costs me extra money so it, so it becomes a again we have to start shifting that understanding I mean the number of patients who I talk about you know we should you know do this and this and take this supplement or you know, consider stem cells or whatever it might be. And they go, oh, that's way too expensive. And then I see them walk out and get into their Lexus. I find offensive. I mean, I, you know, I live my life where more, more of my money gets spent on my health probably than anything else, quite frankly. 
Yeah. You know, um, and, and I don't live in a big luxury house or drive a big luxury car. I mean, as you know, five kids are expensive. So that's, you know, right. Right. <laughs> but, you know, so they, they suck up most of your money, both for health and otherwise. But, but, you know, so I think where we, and I hope this model does start changing. I know there's people who are working to how, how do we set up more of this kind of, you know, regenerative model in some, some fashion that, that is, is, is going to be satisfactory, but Right now, what I really advise a lot of my patients is, and this is what I do, is I have, you know, I have a catastrophic health plan, right? I have a, a health plan that if, if literally something horrendous happens to me, because that's, that's going to kill you if you have a million dollars after a car accident. So you, you, a catastrophic health plan, put a, every ounce of money you can into a health savings account because HSAs, you can use for anything, right? So you right. can use it for this kind of medicine. You can use it for anything. So you put as much money into health savings accounts as you can. So instead of paying my health insurance, you know, and as you know, like with, with all your kids, my, my health insurance alone, just for a catastrophic plan is, is $2,800 a month. I mean, it's huge. I never use it. I mean, I mean, right. God forbid something that happens, I will, but, but, you know, I never use it, nor do my kids because we're, we're, you know, they're working with me and we do this functional medicine approach, but every, you know, but I'm still paying into that the least amount I can to get by, but I also keep a lot of my in health savings account. And there's a lot of ways to set that up so that I can pull that money out and do whatever I want with it from my health. Right. You know, right. I think no, that's the, what people the, have to start thinking, right? Yes. It's definitely a mindset. And we've mm -hmm. been, especially our generation, we've been raised to believe the healthcare system is set up for not just acute care, but uh, daily maintenance care. Right. And just, you know, acute care, it does very well. Right. But right. Our, right. our, our longevity, not so well. Right. Yeah. So back to osteoarthritis, um, are people who play sports or people like myself who love working out every day, pretty hard, you know, for a midlife aged woman, um, more susceptible, more prone to our osteoarthritis down the road? No, versus... so the answer to that is absolutely not. And that's where, that's where the, the, the thinking is distorted. You know, I get people all the time. Oh, the reason my neck is so bad is because I was a wakeboarder and there was all this, you know, this trauma to my joints. You know, I have, I have high level football players. I, you know, I work with a, a, an endurance runner who literally is, you know, running 200 miles at a time. I, I won't say that's great for your health, but joints are fine. Um, you know, I work with, with athletes that are very, very high level and have fine joints. And then I work with people who had a simple little trauma or work out and they're like, oh yeah, you know, I just, my knees are bad because, you know, I, I tore my anterior ligament. So the key is there. Now I have horrible knees. I've end-stage arthritis in my knees. I have no pain, but I've end-stage arthritis in my knees. I've torn my ACLs four times. Actually, the last time I tore them, I didn't even fix them. I was like, screw this, this isn't working for me. So, so you know, my problem started my first ACL tear at the age of 18. What we know is if you tear your ACL as a young person, even if you fix it, it's all repaired, right? Which we think, oh, you're better, you're fine. 80% of those people go on to develop arthritis. Even if there wasn't damage to the cartilage, 80% develop arthritis. So why is that? And why did the 20% not? So the key is just like anything, um, you have certain genetics that make you certainly more vulnerable, right? Mm -hmm. So for instance, we know that um, like the CAL5A1 gene, people who have a CAL5A gene abnormalities have a different type of collagen it's more likely to get injured. So now you take that and you have a little injury, right? 
and you, tr you can't actually heal the tissue back to normal because you didn't have the genetics to make it normal. You have a different, you're, you lay down a different type of collagen and that type of collagen is not, it's, it's not the same and it's more vulnerable to a re-injury. So that's why you'll see these, these injuries occur kind of sometimes repetitively, like, like you get one injury and then it gets another and gets another is because you've actually never repaired the ligament in, in the fashion that it should have been. So genetics definitely play a role there. And there's a oh, wait, ton. so hang on one sec. Does that mean that when you, when a new patient comes to you with this type of injury, is genetic testing part of that initial phase of gathering all the data? You know, no, partly because it's expensive, um, you know, and, and so what we, we're kind of going on the presumption that everybody, because we know that most people somewhere in the genetic makeup, you know, call 5A is one, but there's a lot of different genetics that go into this. People who have, who make more interleukin-6, people who make more interleukin-1 beta, those are, those are what we call pro-inflammatory cytokines. And your genetics may be such that you respond to traumatic events, be it viral illnesses or injuries with a more pro-inflammatory response. Mm -hmm. So kind of everything comes down to, let's, let's assume that we're coming in with somebody who is higher inflammatory, less likely to lay down normal collagen, and let's treat everybody as such. Because it's not gonna hurt, even if you had perfect call 5 which it's not gonna hurt to address you in a way that your collagen is gonna heal in a healthier fashion. Mm -hmm. It's not going to hurt if you don't have super high levels of some of these inflammatory cytokines that instigate a bad response. It's not gonna hurt to try and blunt those and make you more anti-inflammatory. So it, it's a little bit of, of um, treat everybody with the underlying presumption that we're going to just work on all those pieces that make things heal in, in, in the best fashion pro properly, you know, that they can. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and so that, that response of what happens, you take that person, you know, and, and whatever's going on with them, like your kids, they have an injury, you tear your ACL, or you, know, you get a tear tendon in your, you know, in your elbow or whatever it might be, and you're 18 years old. So what happens at that stage? You create inflammation, that's normal, right? Your body brings in cells to try and heal. So you get this very, what we call pro-inflammatory cytokines. Those are little proteins that are calling in the cells you need to heal. And it's important. It's important for viruses too, I mean, with COVID. If you, if you get COVID and you respond appropriately, you bring in these inflammatory cytokines, the virus starts going away, and then you bring in anti-inflammatory cytokines, you heal and you're fine. People who die from COVID, they bring in the pro-inflammatory response and that just keeps getting worse and worse. And now they're attacking themselves, they're attacking tissue. So, so our, our body makes cytokines, but then right. you're also talking about exogenous ways of bringing... No, it's your body's response to the insult. Okay. is to make these cytokines, right? So they're not, they're not exogenous. That's your body's response to a virus or an injury. So if I injure my knee, the first thing that happens is I get an uprise of, of some of the pro-inflammatory cytokines. That's a necessary response, but it shouldn't stick around. That should be very mm -hmm. short-lived. And then what happens is you get this anti-inflammatory proteins that come in and they initiate healing. Mm -hmm. Well, what if whatever my genetics are, or I'm sleeping crappy, so I have higher levels of inflammation or I'm eating lots of sugar. So I have higher levels of inflammation. So now I get that insult and my pro-inflammatory cytokines just stay here, right? I never get back into this balance of anti-inflammatory mm -hmm. more than pro-inflammatory. Mm -hmm. You have to get into this balance to heal. When you're pro-inflammatory and anti-inflammatory is here, you don't heal. So what happens 
is if I stay in that pro-inflammatory state, not only do I, you know, try and repair the injury, but now I'm actually starting to actually create inflammation in other places and actually starting that progression into osteoarthritis. Okay. And that started at 16. It didn't start at 50 when the arthritis showed up. It started at when, when some of these cells were damaged and they started propagating more damage and more damage and more damage, you know, and then things get accentuated as we age because we lose hormonal influences. We, you know, we, we may have more stress, things like that. So, so things get accentuated. Hormones play a big role there as well. So you have to start looking at, yeah. So, so are there kids who are more prone to injuries? I mean, certainly some, you know, just because of what they do, of course. So your kids played ice hockey, of course, they're more prone to injury, right. but if everything's perfect, they get that injury and they do fine. We treat all of our young kids with injuries that we see with the assumption that they are going to develop arthritis at 50. So after that injury, we start doing simple things with them to try and blunt that pro-inflammatory response, get them to heal in a more appropriate fashion. And that's, and, and so now the hope is, well, if you start that at 16, are we going to not see this epidemic of joint replacements that we're seeing now? Right. So could, can we actually prevent that progression by treating the 16 year olds? The problem is that very few people think about aging when they're 16 and, you know, right. nor do their parents think about aging in a 16 year old, but you know, we, we start aging at a very young age, right? Um, you know, we, we start the damage from aging at a very young age. It's been well shown that, that, you know, even kids who are following, you know, really bad diets, or even when you're pregnant, following a really bad diet that you actually are, are setting yourself up, up at that place. So, so we have to start thinking about changing the young people. So we, we change the outcomes, uh, over the long haul. You know, I was a hockey mom for 27, um, straight seasons with all my kids. I mean, I still am right. They still play, but they're not, it's not youth hockey anymore. And I can't tell you how many of the rinks I would go to. And the first thing you would see when you walked in was the vending machines or the little, um, the little place where you could get hot dogs and hamburgers. And just like, it was just like a, 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 you know, Willy Wonka, you know, right. walk in. Right? right. And I, it always bothered me. And I always used to try to talk to the rink managers, which my kids couldn't stand that I would always do this <laughs> and say, let me like turn it around for you. Let me bring in, you know, better options for these kids because the kids would walk in. And the first thing they did was grab candy and chips yeah. and just total crap and Gatorade. And, you know, so, and then if you would go to team dinners, it was just more, more of the same crap. Yeah. And it, it you or, know, or so snacks, like when you're snack mom, right? Yes. Snack moms, yes. what do they bring? I mean, sometimes orange slices, which are better than some choices, but maybe not still the best choice, you know, wouldn't right. have been better to give them a little protein load, but you know, no, um, right. you know, and people remember that like little gummies, you know, things like that. That's yep. what you always write those. I can't remember what they're called anymore because I don't have to do that anymore, but you know, those little snacks, you know, the little bags, right. you know, those little gummy snacks that, that was healthy, you know, and, and the, the juice boxes, right. Um, <laughs> You know, right? Not, not exactly what you want to be giving your kid when they're going to be out there stressing their tissues, because that's actually, you know, great study. I can't remember when it came out um, that, that looked at glucose and tendon injuries. Um, and, you know, and this is paramount in people like who are diabetics, particularly like type two diabetics. But even when you, when you took a mouse and you gave them high glucose, even briefly, so even shortly, they were much more likely to develop a tendon injury. And what they saw is that, you know, and then over time, if you did that, the tendon actually looked completely different. The tendon developed differently. So we know that sugar actually alters our tendon structure. And so, you mm -hmm. know, and, and yet we're feeding our kids sugar. And it's hard. I mean, you, you know, 
as a mom, I, my, my, my 15 year old still on Sundays is like, can you get donuts? And it's like, hey, you know, <laughs> the worst thing in the world to give him. Right. right. And yet there's this little piece of, yeah, but you know, he'll love me so much if I give him donuts. Right. Right. Um, right. <laughs> so we have a little bit of that as moms, even, you know, that, that, that we want to make our kids happy and sugar does yes. make people happy. Right. Um, and, and, and yet it's a completely horrible thing to be doing. Um, and, but a hard habit to break. My, my youngest one, when he was really little, now he's 18, but when he was like five or six and he'd bring home a new friend and they'd walk in the house after, you know, kindergarten or something. And he would say, you know, hi, Johnny, this is or hi, mom. This is Johnny, Johnny. This is my mom, Johnny. We don't have sugar in the house. And I'm like, do you have to start off that? Like the poor kid's never going to come back. Right. I tried my best. <laughs> Yeah. But still, they ended up having 15 surgeries. And so I'm listening to you with the um, information you're, you're explaining about cytokines. And I'm thinking, you know, obviously, with five, with four of the boys having 15 surgeries, all labrum tears, by the way, yeah, there so had that's, to be a genetic component. Yeah, there's a genetic component. There definitely is to like, you know, label tears. In fact, there's a gene you can look at that people are more likely to get label tears, but yeah, you know, mm. and because it is a collagen structural thing when you get, you know, label pathology. Um, and especially when it has, when it kind of recurrently happens because it doesn't heal again with normal structure. Like, and we know things like higher dose vitamin C post the injury helps lay down a much more normal, you know, matrix of tissue. And so we'll, so using things like high dose vitamin C and then using things to blunt inflammation. And, you know, in kids, what I use a lot of is just, you know, green tea extract. EGCG, epigallocatechins, because yeah. it's a simple, easy supplement to give them, you know, giving them vitamin C, giving them you know, epigallocatechins. Both those things are going to enhance the healing because you're going to blunt the destruction of tissue, the damage to the tissue. You're going to stop that process that you've laid down different, you know, a different type of integrity of collagen than you had before. And so it's just more vulnerable. So likely they do when, when that many kids have that, likely you do have this you know, genetic abnormality, which we know you've got to get more aggressive than of trying to encourage more tissue healing. So like with, you know, I would, in something like that, you'd put them on some collagen peptides and epigallocatechins and, and vitamin C. Vitamin C is a big influence in changing the structure of collagen. So, um, so we know like people, I used to be a dancer. I work with a lot of dancers and, you know, dancers are all hypermobile. I mean, you, you aren't right. a good dancer unless you're hypermobile. And it probably is why, you know, I tore my ACLs four times, five times, mm -hmm. you know, um, and, you know, I'll sit there and give talks to these little dancers, you know, who are like sitting there with their, their legs behind their heads and, you know, doing their party tricks. And, and, and we know that they have abnormal collagen. Almost every dancer has these abnormal collagen genes. So, so we'll actually put a lot of them on just vitamin C uh, and collagen peptides at a young age, because that hopefully will sort of prevent some of the ongoing damage they want to keep dancing. Yeah. I was just going to ask you, are these three, this trio of supplements is some, is that something, if you have a high level athlete as you know, one of you, for one of your kids, is that something you should just do right off the bat? Yeah. I think it's a really good idea. I mean, it's, you know, mm. um, it, it, when we have people who have like what's called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is a hypermobility syndrome, they have very abnormal collagen. And in those people, you have to use super high doses of vitamin C. You have to do IV infusions of vitamin C. But even just, I mean, you know, it's it's very palatable and not going to hurt you to do a gram or two of vitamin C in these guys. Um, you know, so vitamin C, vitamin D, collagen peptides. If they're if they're prone to in, you know, injuries and you know using epigallocatechins ongoing, you know, we know they have such huge other benefits as well. I mean, epigallocatechins also 
help muscle building. So, you know, they're kind of a cool supplement. They're anti-cancer, they're anti-inflammatory, but they're, they're, they promote, you know, they promote muscle building. So and that's but, safe for you know. younger athletes. Yeah. I mean, depending on the size, you know, if you start getting, you know, too high a dose, um, in, in a very young person, then potentially you can, you, it can be a little hard on the liver, but you know, but it, you, you can use like certainly 500 milligrams a day, very safely in young, even young, smaller people. Um, and, you know, and when you say younger, smaller people, what are you, what, what's the I'm age? I'm talking about that, you know, your adolescent, your 10 year old, 11 year old. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You know? Yeah. Interesting. Gosh, I wish I knew all of this back then, even though they probably would have needed all the surgeries anyway, just the residual pain that they, that they right. deal with every day. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and again, that's where even now I would start saying, Hey, you know, because their likelihood of developing shoulder arthritis is higher, you know, looking at simple things like collagen peptides, you know, which are, are not, yeah. inex, you know, not expensive right. and readily available um, and easy to do. Um, my oldest daughter, who's, who's, who's about the same as your old, you know, 26, about the same as your oldest had, you know, had a lot of injuries and, you know, and she, and she had, you know, bad back injury and things like that. And she really, even now, I mean, she finds a huge difference in, in her, her performance and pain by just taking collagen peptides on a regular basis. I mean, she really misses them um, when she doesn't take them. So, you know, so, so that's a super easy thing that they can initiate now that we know is beneficial. Some great studies on collagen peptides. I mean, people say, oh, you can't orally take collagen and have it do anything. And the studies don't, they actually support you can. <laughs> um, that, that, you know, they did a really good double-blind placebo-controlled studies on knee pain to people with knee arthritis, and they didn't know what they were taking. And the people who took the collagen peptides um, had marked improvement in walking speed, marked reduction in pain. Mm. Um, they did another study with, with uh, after Achilles tendon injury using collagen peptides, and they healed faster, they healed more complete, they had better range of motion. So we know that collagen peptides are a really easy thing to do. They're not going to hurt anybody, even young people. Um, and, you know, and, and again, not an expensive thing. Yeah, not an ex right. Very expensive. and very accessible to right, many exactly. people. Can, right. So sometimes when I, when I talk about um, supplements on my podcast, I always like to bring up what the RDA, what the dose is on the back of the package versus what a therapeutic dose is. So when you're just using collagen peptide powder that people can throw into their coffee or as a kid, they throw it into their smoothie. Is it a different dose for them? You know, it, so, so it kind of depends on what collagen peptide you, you buy. Like if you go to the grocery store and you, you buy a, a, a collagen peptide, we use one that's you know made from a supplement company that uses a, a trademark, something called Fortigel, which I think has, Fortigel is a collagen peptide that comes from Australia. It's, it's, it's a patented, but there's a couple of products, a couple of collagen peptides that, that you, if you look for Fortigel, F-O-R-T-I-G-E-L, it's one of my favorite of the collagen peptides because it actually has a lot of scientific backing where some of the other collagen peptides don't as much. So I'm kind of a big believer in that. And there's a few companies who have bought, you know, buy a, the trademark Fortigel and utilize it in their products. So, you know, so, so actually that usually is dosed pretty well. I mean, it's, you know, mm. just like one scoop of that a day is pretty, is, is pretty good. And, and for a maintenance dose, what's on the package for collagen peptides is reasonable. But if you're trying to recover or heal, or if you're an athlete who's, you know, who's really pounding a lot, you know, in protection, then I'll have people do, I'll, I'll usually double that dose. Honestly, you really, you know, you're, you're not going to overdose on collagen peptides, but then, you know, so I'll usually, you know, double that dose, but you're right. You know, when you're looking at, at, um, 
you know, what does RDA I mean? You know, you, you, you know nutrition very well. And RDA means this is what you need to absolutely survive and right. not to be healthy. This is just what you need to actually not fall over dead, which is very minimal comparatively to what we need to actually be healthy. So RDAs are stupid and mean nothing, yep. you know? Um, and, and when supplement companies dose things, you know, most of the supplements don't have RDAs, but they, but, but when they dose things like be a vitamin C or epigallocatechins or whatever they might be, they have to stay in a pretty conservative fashion, right? Yep. Or they're running yep. into that they're treating disease and you can't treat disease as a supplement. You can right. use supplements to support the body, but not treat disease. And so, so that's where, you know, using guidance from physicians, because, you know, number one, there is too much of supplements, right? There's too much of, Absolutely. Uh, you know, particularly, I mean, I have people who literally come in with the, I don't know how they do it. You know, they have 10 pages of supplements and, you know, and, and right. look in their liver and their kidneys are suffering because of that. Because when we're talking about athletes, we're talking about that competitive mind. Right. So if, right. So if a little bit is, is good, more is better. And they just are all in. Right. I mean, exactly. Um, so, so, so I, I think there is a little bit of a, a guidance there, not to just say, okay, I'm just going to take this much I think that's where it is helpful to have somebody like you or, you know, me to kind of guide people right. through and say, okay, for you at this stage in the game, this is what I'm going to do. And then, you know, at, then we can back it down to this, it's more of a maintenance uh, you know, to, to more of a maintenance level. Right. Uh -huh. So it does yeah. help to work with somebody who's knowledgeable. Absolutely. In Instead of, of jumping on these forums on Facebook and listening to, you know, who knows who you're listening to, if something works for them, it, it means it's going to work for you. No, that's not the way it works. Yeah. I mean, right. I love and hate social media, right. Yeah. From that per perspective is that, you know, honestly, what people don't realize is so much of what your Instagram influencers are doing, they're, they're being paid to try and sell you. And you have to, yes. you have to weed through that. I mean, I think we're like, oh my God, you know, you know, so-and-so takes this, it must be great. And well, lots of times they've got paid $20,000 to, to support that. So, you know, so you do have to be, do your due diligence that not everything yes. that's out there being advertised by your favorite Instagram influencer is necessarily something that even they are taking, uh, much less that you should take or need. Um, exactly. And it, it is where I think I see these people come in with, you know, 200 supplements as they've listened to all these different people. Like, yeah. oh, I need that. And I need that. And I need that. And I need that. And they start having counterproductive effects at that stage in the game, right? Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> so you were talking about how hormones play a huge role in osteoarthritis. Can you speak to that a bit more? Let's talk not even about osteoarthritis. You know, I think, you know, let's think about joint pain. So arthritis is when, you know, so what is arthritis? Arthritis is when you start, you start destroying cartilage, right? And, and, and the, the tissue that surrounds the joint and ultimately start getting hypertrophic bone spurs, so that's arthritis, but you know, long before the arthritis sits in, there's joint pain. That's the inflammatory mm -hmm. process that's setting you up to get to arthritis. Um, and so, and then you have other things besides arthritis that cause joint pain, like tendons and things like that, tendons and ligaments, right? So, you, so you've got to start thinking about hormones even before, like menopause and hormones start dropping, because hormones play a really big role in our joints, and I think people forget that. But it's why you know, as a, as a young female, different times in your menstrual cycle, you're going to be much more prone to tear your ACL. Um, so for instance, at ovulation, you are much more likely to tear your ACL. And that's because you've got these very high estrogen levels. Estrogen makes ligaments more stretchy. So you, your joint moves a little too much and then the ligaments, you know, tears. So, <clears throat> so estrogen and then progesterone balances that out. So right in ovulation, when your estrogen levels 
are, are high and then you start, you know, plummeting, then, then, then you're much more prone to injury. Um, and mm-hmm. so, so sometimes cycling and, and remember for, you know, estrogens, people forget the estrogen's anabolic. Estrogen is a muscle building hormone, just like testosterone. People forget that. So when your estrogen levels are higher, you've also got these kind of stronger muscles. So you're going to maybe push things a little bit harder. So you've got to think about even timing in your young people mm-hmm. um, of, of, of sort of, you know, how you, how you, uh, you know, how you're exercising during certain times. Um, you know, then you look at things like testosterone and its effect on ligaments and tendons. So whereas estrogen, so, so testosterone makes tendons very, very stiff. That's why men, whereas estrogen makes tendons more flexible, testosterone makes them very stiff. So men are much more likely to tear a tendon, like rupture their Achilles tendon when they have these high levels of testosterone, especially when, when um, at, as they get a little older. So, you know, not old enough for testosterone levels to drop, but as they start to get like into their 20s and 30s. So, so you also look at the, the influence of hormones on the injury itself. And, and, and then as we get older, the imbalance on hormones, you know, and people forget that our hormones are option. They're, they're at our optimal in our twenties. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you know, people are like, Oh, you know, you're great. Your, your hormones actually start dropping pretty young. Right. Yep. Um, and so, you know, so women start to become estrogen dominant at a relatively young age. So now they've got these high levels of estrogen, these low levels of progesterone. So, so injuries to tendons and things like that become, you know, higher risk as we get older, unless you replace hormones. I, mean, I have a lot of 20 year olds on progesterone because they're, you get their labs and their estrogen is way off board with the progesterone. So I put a lot of young women on progesterone to act as a protective thing. There's also progesterone receptors on joints. So it's, their progesterone is really necessary for cartilage cells as well. So as the progesterone levels start to drop even at a young age, now you're setting yourself up even at that age. If, if your progesterone levels dropped you know, at 20, um, then, then you're setting yourself up for having more damage to the chondrocytes, the cartilage cells. And then obviously as you start to get older and older and you have you know, less and less and less hormones, now you've really lost almost all of the protection to cartilage cells, you know, chondrocytes and to, um, and to the joint. So, you know, this is something that starts young. You start, you, you have to look at the influences, you know, when you're, when your boys are young and there's, and you're starting to, and they haven't really, you know, kicked testosterone. My kids were sort of slow developers, you know, and you look at some of those, you know, my, some like my, my 15 year old who plays basketball, you look at some of these 15 year olds, how they have beards, yeah, right? You yeah, know, yeah, my yeah. kids like one of those skinny little, you know, right. and yet they're competing at these sort of same levels, right? Well, he doesn't have that testosterone in there yet to really be as strong, right? Or to be, so, so we have to be really careful with that as well, because he's going to be more prone to injuries at that stage, because he doesn't have some of the hormone protection. And so he's going to be a little bit more prone to injuries. And yet we, we don't think about that. We, we all, because especially with boys, right? The 15 year olds look so different from each other. So you're kind of cognizant of that, you know, and, and that, that as the hormones are setting in, there's this, there's kind of, you know, vulnerable state until they get stronger and they, and things start balancing out. And that's one of the reasons kids get these, some of these injuries that, that they do, because we're pushing them a little too hard when they don't that, really have the makes, hormones to do it. That makes perfect sense to me. Now that I'm like thinking about my boys and especially my youngest one who plays pro hockey and he's still he's at 16, that's when he signed and he was so young compared to right. the other right. players, right. Right? right? And, you know, you you look at the muscle mass yeah. and, he, and he eats well and works out, but it's just, you know. Right. He, a 16 year old's not going to have the same testosterone Absolutely. as a 21 year old. They're just not, right. you know. Right. Um, 
you know, and so he doesn't, so he doesn't have some of the protection there. So testosterone protects ligaments, you know, whereas estrogen is hard on ligaments, testosterone is protective to ligaments, you know, tendons, estrogen is better, testosterone is, you know, not as good. But remember where men, so men need estrogen too, because it's really helpful right. from, from, from a, a tendon perspective. So early on when testosterone is just coming into play, there's not a lot of estrogen. Um, and then, you know, and, and then as testosterone levels get higher, it starts converting down into estradiol. And that's one of the things that gives men protection, unless you're a bodybuilder and you block all of your estrogens and that's bad. Um, so, you know, so, so you have, there, there's these kind of vulnerable periods as everything's kind of changing. And then that, and, and that's why if you're a 50 year old woman and you hurt yourself, it's not going to heal. You know, how can I expect to try and repair tissue when I, when, the, when you have none of the hormones that are absolutely necessary for you to repair, you know, that rotator cuff that I just put back together. Right. Um, yeah. you know, so it's, it's, and it's where the, the problem with all these clinics that are doing even regenerative orthopedics, you're like, Oh, well, at least they're, you know, they're not doing surgery. They're doing regenerative orthopedics. Well, it's the same thing's true. If I'm going to charge you, you know, $10,000 to do stem cells or whatever it might be. I mean, I'm seeing some outrageous, you know, numbers and people who are you know, paying a lot of money for stem cells and they, they haven't actually fixed their hormones and their nutrients and things like that first. It's just, it's dumb. It's, you know, so important to start with the gut, with the basics, right. The basics, you know? get, get it down, get your lifestyle down, get it right. all down before you go dive in and spend all this money. Right. I, people, I, are, people are like, oh, I'm going to drop $10,000 for my stem cells. And I'm like, let's right. actually, you know, let's actually check your hormones because we got to get those in order or none of that's going to work. <laughs> you know? It's just, it's, it's, but you know, so I could, I have people literally come in and spent $30,000 on regenerative procedures. And I'm like, this is, this was never going to work. You're in this super high inflamed state. So any tissue that start tried to regrow, you basically just destroyed. You don't have the hormones repair tissue, you know, <clears throat> um, and, 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 and let's even back up there. What else are hormones important for, right? Muscle building, right? And so right. understand the importance of muscles to joints. Muscles are not just protective to joints because we're stronger, but muscles we now know are endocrine tissues, meaning just like your ovaries, just like your testicles, they make hormones or they make, they make proteins that are called myokines. And, the, and myokines are kind of new to our world. We've, we've only been studying them for a few years and now we keep finding more and more and more myokines. So when we exercise our muscles, the contraction of muscles produces myokines. And there's, a, there's now a, a handful of myokines, irisin being one of them that we know are critical to cartilage. So if, if I now have somebody who um, has an injury and I immobilize them, right? And they're not now contracting the muscle on a regular basis, then I stop producing one of the necessary things, proteins that the cartilage needs, like irisin and brain-derived neurotrophic factor and, and fibroglass growth factors. All these things are produced largely by muscle contraction. So myokines go everywhere. They go to your brain, they go to your heart, they go to your joints, they go to your bones. They're, they're critical. So if you have no hormones and I tell you to go build muscle because that's going to make you produce more myokines and protect your joint, you can't. You can't build muscle without estrogen. You can't build muscle without testosterone. Um, progesterone actually yep. equally important. Mm -hmm. So I, I think, you know, where we've gotten everything sort of bass backward, that whatever it is, <laughs> ass backwards, is, is that we don't, you know, you know, you're, you're foundational, you, you know, you, you fix the people, we don't fix the people we try and, you know, we're all cool and regenerative. And we've forgotten that, 
we're, we're skipping the step of making the people healthy before we go to our fun, regenerative, you know, expensive procedures and things like that. Exactly. And I, I work with many women who are going through perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause. And I talk to them all the time about the importance of hormonal balance (laughs) and how, as we age, we lose all the hormones, like you're saying. And so many are so afraid and uneducated about bioidentical hormones. So there's hormone replacement therapy, and then there's bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. They're very different. And there, I feel like there just needs to be a lot more education on bioidenticals and the importance and that, you know, I'm also a carnivore coach and it's mostly the women that come from that space to me for coaching that think food is going to do everything. Food is the foundation, Mm -hmm. but it certainly is not the only part of the equation here. Right. I mean, you certainly can have more, you can with, you know, with more optimal diets, right. You can optimize the hormones, but at some point your ovaries just aren't making the hormones. And I don't care how perfect your diet is or, right. you know, or, or the supplements you can do that kind of boost that up. You just unfortunately need hormones if you are going to age well. And I, the only drug we know that protects right now against dementia is estrogen, you know, and, and, um, you know, and there may be others, but that's the one that we know is absolutely key. And if you don't have estrogen, your brain is going to fail. That's men and women. You need estrogen right. for your brain. And so, so, and, and I fight that battle, you know, I'm, I'm right with you on this one because it, literally when I talk about hormones, the first thing comes to everyone's mind is, well, they cause cancer. Yep. And, you know, and I encourage, so we have a, um, we actually have an academy site that we try and teach people because we know doctors don't teach people. So we actually, you know, have sites where you can kind of learn stuff without any, any influencers and things like that, but it's called BLI.academy. And we put a whole talk up there where I just go through all the literature and it's all very scientifically based. We base everything on literature, all the literature to support why we've come up with that belief that hormones cause cancer and why it is such a fallacy and the damage it is doing to health that everybody, including physicians are holding on to that belief. Yes. And, you know, and they, it was all based off, you know, a, a, a years, years, years old study, the women's health initiative study, which was a completely flawed study. You know, n- number one, they took people who had a lot of other comorbidities, most of them were smokers, most of them were overweight. Um, and then they put them on bad hormones. They put them on you know, progestins, which are right. not progesterone and are carcinogenic. I mean, progestins are bad for you. We know that. And so, so, and so they put them on, on, on estradiol and progestins and they started developing cancers. Like, oh my God, what could stop the study, blah. And interesting when they stopped the study, the, the number of patients with osteoporosis and dementia started gradually increasing after that point in time, you know, and, and we, but we're still, when you quote the data, it still goes back to that. So, so you're right. You know, now there is a little fallacy in that estradiol is estradiol, whether it is compounded or whether you get it from a pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical company, you know, everybody's like, Ooh, you're not on, on bioidentical estradiol. If I buy estradiol or an estrogen patch, estradiol is the same thing. What's not the same thing. So, you know, we get in our little functional medicine world, oh, we can't be on pharmaceutical estradiol. Sometimes it's less expensive for people to do that. It is the same drug. You can't dose it quite the same way, you know, and you can't use little different combinations, but it's still a very adequate option. And sometimes women can get their insurance to pay for it. And it's less expensive. Um, Sometimes not. Sometimes it's better to use the compounded ones, but progesterone, not, you know, if you go on things like Premarin, it is progestin. 
Progestin looks nothing like progesterone and actually is really inflammatory to cells and carcinogenic. Progesterone, on the other hand, is very anti-inflammatory. It's anti-cancer. It has you know, all these other benefits. So basically, you, know, you, you have to use and they have to be all done in the right combinations and, you know, watching metabolites, but you know, you're spot on. I mean, when I, we have this, this course we do called what to fix first. And that's actually, if they go to that BLI.academy, you can sign up for that course. And then when I put together the course, I thought, okay, well, do I start with nutrition? Cause is it really diet? That's the most important thing. And then exercise and, you know, and certainly super important, but as you kind of maybe have seen too, sometimes if somebody is really, really deplete in hormones, trying to get them to eat healthy or exercise, you know, it, it'd be like, they, they can't, not even that, that they're not willing, they, they right. honestly can't, right. you know, they're depressed, they can hardly get out of bed. If they go and exercise, they feel miserable because they're breaking down tissue that they can't rebuild. So right. I kind of came down to, you know, as you get older, it becomes really critical to sort of think hormones first, and then you can sit there and say, okay, great, because now they actually get out of bed. So now you can actually say, let's, let's get you exercising and producing all these, you know, great things that now will make you feel better and protect your joints and everything along the way. But hormones are so important, a key to the, you know, to, to arthritis as well. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting when you look at, um, at, at a lot of women who had trouble getting pregnant. A lot of them, the reason they have trouble getting pregnant is because they have that estrogen progesterone imbalance. Correlate that to people who have back pain. A lot of, of infertility people also have chronic back pain because mm. those low progesterone levels are also equated to chronic back pain and joint pain. So I see a lot of women who have chronic back pain that you put them on progesterone and their back pain goes away because it's so anti-inflammatory. That's really interesting. Really interesting. Um, I want to talk about now, some of the, the the cool regenerative options out there that you utilize in your practice. Uh, just run us through some of the more common ones that you would use, like in an example, maybe a runner comes in or a tennis so, player. So yeah, I think I mean there's I think regenerative therapies are are amazing. Again. Your first thing we do with everybody is we say, you know, before we tell you to spend all this money on the regenerative therapies, it, right. it, let's, let's, let's look at making the, sure all this stuff good. You yeah. know, if, if that's good, and let's say I have a chronic tendonitis or, um, or an injury to my labrum in my shoulder or, you know, or a partial tear in a tendon, if it's a complete tear in the tendon, probably regenerative therapies aren't going to be enough debatably. Well, there's something called platelet-rich plasma. A lot of your, your listeners are familiar with platelet-rich plasma. We basically take the blood, we spend the platelets, platelets, basically when, when they're placed in the area, they release a lot of growth factors. You're actually, you're creating Wait, the response. Dr. Yurth, mm -hmm. my, um, my microphone went out for like 30 seconds. Can you okay. back up a little bit? Yeah. So Thank basically, you. you know, in the regenerative therapy realm, if you, let's say you have an, kind of an acute injury and we want to get it to heal faster potentially, or it's not healing, we need to help it heal. <laughs> then we will use things like platelet-rich plasma. So basically you come in, simple procedure, you draw blood, we spin out platelets, um, we take those platelets and using ultrasound guidance, we inject them into the damaged tissue. When placed there, they actually release growth factors that initiate a healing response. So basically it's the platelets themselves release kind of a little bit of the growth factors you need to heal the tissue. Um, I like a little bit better usually than, and I'll use platelet-rich plasma for some things like around nerves and things like that. But um, for tendon injuries, 
I prefer what's called platelet-rich fibrin matrix and it, or PRFM. And in PRFM, we take that sort of liquid, just, you know, it looks like just liquid, yellow liquid is the platelet-rich plasma. And we actually turn it into a fibrin clot. We take some value red cells, we turn it into a little fibrin clot. So it actually looks now more like a jelly. So you actually can then sort of lay it, you know, kind of as a scaffold over that injury again, mm. using your, using your, your um, ultrasound guidance or fluoroscopic guidance, wherever you might need, depending on what you're doing, you sort of can lay it directly where that injured tissue is, where it sort of creates a scaffold and you get a much longer and more direct response right to that spot. than if I'm putting a liquid in, which is sort of dispersing around and, you know, yeah, it's bringing in cells, but if I want to bring them in right there, doesn't stay there forever, but it stays there for longer than the platelets themselves do. And it's enough to start really acting again, almost like a, you know, like a scaffold for a while while your body's trying to, to heal things. Um, you know, so when and, you, when you do that, how long does that take for the person to start noticing a difference? So both platelet-rich plasma and platelet-rich fiber matrix, um, are not going to be instantaneous results. You have to regrow tissue, right? So initially you you've created a little inflammation, things feel a little worse. Now, remember, what I don't want is to tailspin that inflammation so now they, they don't heal. So again, we use, when you're doing the platelets, afterwards, we put them into a very specific protocol so we, we get a little inflammation and then we blunt it. So for about three days, we let the inflammatory process go. We want that. And then we want to blunt it with using things that start pulling in the anti-inflammatory cells. And, and again, we don't, we, we have them start using, you know, even if it's a simple, even if it's as simple as just contracting your muscle, you want to get that myokine influence to heal the tissues. So we, we make sure that we're either, if, they, if, it's, if there's too much pain for them to use it, just even contracting it, we'll use stim, things like that to try and stimulate the muscle to release its myokines to help with mm -hmm. healing. So, mm -hmm. so we'll bring a process in afterwards with all that. And then usually, you know, it can take sometimes six, eight weeks to start really seeing a response and you'll continue that response for a while. There are a lot of people who stack uh, platelet-rich plasma and platelet-rich fiber matrix and doing it, you know, every three, every couple of weeks for a while. Actually, that with platelet-rich fiber and I let things go for a little while because I think you see a little more delayed healing. So I'll let things go for a few months. And then if we're not where we want, we can always repeat it. Um, but a lot and, of during, and during this time, is someone doing PT or they have to lay low? What is their movement you know, like? So, so you want to back off of activity a little bit, but again, never do I stop them from doing things. I don't want them to go out and, you know, like I just saw a very high level skier who had a pretty significant injury to his patellar tendon. I don't want him back racing skis, right? Because he's going to, that tendon's starting, trying to heal and he's going to go mm -hmm. contract it hard and, and do all my, but, but I, I want him on the bike, at, you know, um, moving at a, at a, at a low level resistance. Mm -hmm. I want him to, to walk. I want him to do, you know, uh, gentle quad strengthening. So we, we either have them work with a trainer um, or a physical therapist, or if, you know, some of our, our, our people are capable of us kind of giving them direction and doing it on their own, mm -hmm. then we do that. Um, and again, if they need a little help or encouragement, obviously physical therapy, athletic trainers mm -hmm. can be super, super helpful in that realm. Um, then, you know, then you've got stem cells, right? And, and you can get stem cells from two places. Um, well, there's lots of places, but the, the easiest at, the easiest place to get them in our own bodies, or we call in our um, autologous stem cells, meaning it comes from us, is uh, from fat, adipose tissue, or from mm -hmm. bone marrow. So you mm -hmm. can either aspirate fat. A lot of our athletes don't have a lot of fat, or you can uh, use the pelvis, pull out a little bone marrow, and then place the stem cells into the area of damaged tissue. 
and you know, and stem cells are working similarly. They are encouraging, you know, basically they're they're giving a response to the cells to actually number one get rid of bad cells and to direct new cells. They do that primarily with the release of something called exosomes, which are these little nanoparticles that contain microRNAs and growth factors. Mm-hmm. So all the stuff you need to kind of rebuild a human in a sense. So stem cells are, are sort of the, you know, the next step up, um, you know, from, from, from platelets. I think a lot of people do pretty well with platelets again, the, but, but if you have a you know, more significant injury, sometimes stem cells are a better direction to go, usually a little bit pricier. And again, a little more invasive because we have to either suck fat or take bone mm-hmm. marrow, mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, and then there are people who are using, um, using exogenous cells and things, you know, um, like placental matrix and things like that uh, as well. There's there, you know, so, so there's some, some exogenous or tissues from not you yourself that, that can be utilized. Um, it's interesting. A lot of these things are also being used in medical facial spas in cosmetic, and, yeah. and in um, hair, hair growth. Yep. Yeah. Hair we re- do a lot of because, because hair, uh, hair loss has been huge since COVID. Huge. Uh, yeah, huge. Just, you know, so we're doing a lot of, you know, using a platelet rich fiber matrix um, with some, some cellular, cellular matrix and, and, and doing a lot of just scalp injections. It works amazing mm-hmm. for hair loss. So many women lost their hair with COVID. It's, it, yes. you know, it's, it's a really, even people who didn't have COVID seem to, and I don't know if it was the stress or they got some underlying sort of low grade virus that never tested, but we're seeing so much hair loss. So it, and platelet fiber matrix makes a great filler. It, it looks like a thick jelly. And so you can actually place it into places and it makes a great filler, except it's actually stimulating then, you know, you to make more tissue. So you're right. A lot of this stuff, when you look at the vampire facials, it's what, they're, yeah. what they're doing is taking your own platelets. They, they basically, you know, pin needle your face and then put the platelet rich plasma. And those are, you know, they're, they're great procedures, but you're right. It's all the same right. regenerative technology. Um, you, met, you mentioned something in, in your, your outline called alpha two macroglobulin or A2M and A2M is really interesting. Um, so when our bodies are, are going to this kind of inflammatory state, then, then at some point we want to get rid of some of these degradative enzymes, some of the enzymes that are causing continued damage. So there's like metal matrix protein three. There's these enzymes that once they get upregulated, think about them. Like if I if I had a spot on my wall and I kept scrubbing that spot, eventually the wall would be gone. So if these mm. enzymes stay at a high level, they start destroying tissue. So there's people who lack enough of a protein that's called alpha two macroglobulin. That protein is kind of like Pac-Man. It binds those enzymes, eats them up, gets them away. So if you have less alpha two macroglobulin, less A2M, then you are much more likely after you have an injury to progress to arthritis. You can actually test, so you can take joint fluid out of people if they have an injury and send it to a company and have it tested for something called FAC or fiber, fibronectin aggregating complex. They have high levels of FAC, they have low levels of A2M. So then you can take blood and you can spin alpha-2 macroglobulin out of their blood because they have some, just not a lot, and conglomerate the A2M and put it back into the joint to stop that protease reaction. So, you know, so it's kind what of- a would, What would make, yeah, what would make you suspect that that might be an issue to go you, down that path in the first place? You know, I, I suspect it when I have somebody who has a lot of inflammation, like the, you look and, you know, the joint is just staying really swollen, you know, mm-hmm. or 
or they just they keep re-swelling like like in spines most people who see people who have you know you get swelling these little joints called facet joints in the spine and they get these huge blown up joints when you look at MRI scan they're just full mm. of fluid so these people have a really big inflammatory reaction you know much more than you should those are the people I suspect that in um there, there is there was a, a university study that was that was they were looking at should we just do a2m because it's pretty simple at the time of surgery you just would throw a2m in there um and you're not really sure whatever happened with that the, the hard thing about a2m is that it's, it's a tedious process to isolate the a2m out of blood so we have to put it through this filter system and my medical system is really good at it i don't have the patience for it and then you have to like filter off this little you know, layer of, of cells they're coming up with some better technology for that in fact there's a new one that's much better and they're coming out with, um, Cytonics is coming out, hopefully, fingers crossed, with kind of a synthetic A2M. That'll be great because we can just buy this stuff, inject it into these joints. So when these people have an injury, like, look, I know that they're a bad, you know, mm -hmm. inflammatory person. I can put a little bit of that in. So, you know, I think that that's a kind of a technology to sort of follow because that, that is some of these people who just get like really destructive inflammatory arthritis after an injury. That's probably, a, you know, a player there. Um, in, in, in terms of injuries. And, you know, um, I, I probably do less of it than I should simply because it is, it is a little bit tedious, uh, you know, but it, it can work wonders for people, mm -hmm. honestly. Uh, and are these, the procedures you're talking about or the, the, the protocols you're talking about, are these one and done's or are these, well, you already mentioned one of them, the PRP, you probably have to do several times, but what, a lot of times not, but you know, I mean, a lot of times it, with smaller injuries, you know, one and done, um, if you follow suit with doing everything right and getting the body mm. back into a healing mode, I think where the doctors who are doing these repeatedly are failing is because they don't, you, know, you want to init initiate healing, then you want the body to take over. So you've got to put the body to take over. If you're just a, a regenerative orthopedist and you don't follow suit with that, then probably the body starts to go back down the, the tailspin and you got to do it again and you do it again. So I think the key is, yes, fix the body, fix the problem, and it should go along and, and you heal. Our bodies are designed to heal. So they're right. supposed to do. It's just everything that mucks it up. But if you get people on you know, the right diets and the right nutrients and the right hormones, the right. hope is, so I a lot of times get one and done with these procedures, you know, that, oh, that's that, great. You know, um, what about you know, peptides? So yeah, I love peptides. We have a huge, huge, huge peptide practice. We do a lot of peptide therapies. Um, I have a specialist in my practice, Brian Graham, who's like a, a guru of peptides. And, um, and so we use peptides a lot, especially post heal, you know, to help people heal from injuries. You know, um, growth hormone is a big player. We used to actually stick growth hormone joints. Remember you know, many, many years ago, we used to put growth hormone joints and then it kind of fell out of favor, but it actually works kind of well. So now we'll actually sometimes actually put a peptide, insulin-like growth factor, or IGF, we'll actually inject it into articularly because it really helps to promote healing as well. Remember, growth hormone tells your body to produce IGF, insulin-like growth factor, and IGF is what does all the repair work. So you can actually put IGF, IGF directly into joints. Sometimes I'll mix a little IGF in with the, pep, in with the um, if I'm doing platelet therapies or something like that, I'll mix a little IGF in there as well. Or sometimes I'll just do IGF alone for an injury. So, you know, and then, you know, you can use peptides like BPC. I know you did a, a spot on peptides, um, mm -hmm. you, body protective compound 157. So BPC 157 is something our body makes. It's made in our intestine. It, it, it accelerates with injury and, and be that gut injury or external injury. But as we get older, we make less BPC 157. So you can actually give back this body protective compound 157. It's best for joints and musculoskeletal injuries to do it as a subcutaneous injection. 
for people who have gut problems, it's great orally. It helps heal mm -hmm. gut problems, helps heal, heal ulcers, but it's a healing, healing peptide. And if you combine that with another peptide, which is one of the thymic peptides called thymus and beta-4, um, those two work synergistically to help accelerate the healing process. So we'll usually use growth hormone secretagogues, BPC, thymus and beta-4 um, to, to help people kind of heal and recover from injuries or post-regenerative procedures. And then there's peptides that we can do intraarticularly, something called AOD 9064, that is stands for anti-obesity drug, because mm. in mice, if you use this peptide, they, they don't, they, you can feed them anything you want, and they don't get fat, but in humans, it didn't work so well. But as a, it, it's a fragment of growth hormone and injected intraarticularly, it promotes a really nice sort of growth hormone-like response inside the joint. And, um, and you get really, you can get really nice cartilage repair using that peptide. We mix it with hyaluronic acid. You do one injection a week for like four weeks and get some really nice regeneration of tissue with, with that peptide as well. So there are peptides that are great intraarticularly as well as systemically. So, so I, I love peptide therapies. The problem with peptide therapies is their price. They're expensive, right? Um, right. And that's where I always, you know, when people get gigged out on all the fun stuff, you know, if you're going, oh, I'm just going to do peptides and you don't have hormones on board. We know that like we, we treat a lot of our athletes, you know, post like ACLs and things like that. We'll actually hit them with a very anabolic hormone, like nandrolone, which is an anabolic hormone that if you look at the studies on it, markedly improves healing response after a rotator cuff repair. So you can use in women and men, you can use this kind of anabolic hormone to help repair too. So, you know, which sometimes those are just less expensive options, but peptides are you know, their low side effect profile, they're just, they're just on the pricey end, but I do love peptide therapies and I, and we will always encourage our patients to do them. Some people don't want to you know pay for them, but always encourage our patients to do them because they will accelerate healing. Yeah. So I think the the message here is that when you enter into this space as a patient, being open-minded and patient and letting the process just unfold for you is so important once you've established that foundational lifestyle, that healthy lifestyle, getting your sleep, managing your stress, eating the, the best diet for your body. And we know that that equation is different for everybody, getting that weight training in. And, and um, when we talk about lifestyle, we talk about nutrition, I want to talk about protein because we're coming to the end of our podcast. What are your thoughts on how people can prioritize, do you suggest people prioritize protein? And is it really important for women as they age to increase their protein? What are your thoughts on all of that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's tons of people who are protein deficient. Um, and you do see, you know, it's like, like, like I have a niece who's vegan and has a shoulder injury. And I, honestly, it's, it's sometimes it's very, very, very hard. You know, you can possibly do it with all plant-based proteins. I think it's more difficult. Uh, you have to use a lot of combination approaches, you know, so, so, so we know that the body heals best with sort of probably animal-based proteins, but if there's reasons, you know, moral, ethical reasons you can't argue with right. about people who don't want to eat, a, you know, a, a, a meat-based protein, then you have to really do a lot of, you know, conglomerative using different types of protein mixes to try and get, get them to healing, but you, you can't, functionally heal without adequate protein stores either. So, so you're, you know, your, your, your carboholics, the people who are eating a high carbohydrate diet and a low protein diet are obviously going to be much more difficult to get to heal. We're doing simple things like adding collagen peptide in those people too. Again, that there's a tough one because collagen peptides come from an animal source too. So, you know, it's not really a, a great 
vegan source of collagen peptides. <laughs> so, so I do struggle with a little bit of those. And, and, you know, I'm in Boulder, Colorado. We have a lot of vegans, um, right. and, you know, and, um, and it's, it can be a lot more difficult to get them to heal. You know, honestly, you, you, you do, you know, you do need, you do need protein and the easiest access to protein is unfortunately more, you know, meat-based, but if you can get them at least to be pescatarian, maybe you now eating salmon, eating sardines, things like that all can be super, you know, super helpful. So some, so sometimes if, if you know, if, if people are more adverse, you can at least get them into a, into, well, would you eat a little bit of salmon? Would you, you know, think some things like that. So there are ways to do it, but yeah, you've got to have protein to heal, you know, muscles, tendons, doesn't matter. Yeah. I talk about sarcopenia a lot, especially mm -hmm. with my aging, um, uh, female clients yeah. and it goes back to the hormones. It goes back to eating more protein. You know, sarcopenia is the leading is the disease of the elderly. You know, exactly. what did they say? You, you trip and hurt your hip, but you go into the hospital with a broken hip and you end up dying of pneumonia. Right. Um, right. And, and now even more again than that, again, go back to those myokines. If you do not have muscle, you're not producing right. myokines. You need muscle to make bone. It's not just that the muscle loads the bone or protects. It actually, you need muscle to make bone. Um, you need myokines for your brain. So if, if people don't have muscle, you know, it's, it's, it, you, you don't have as many myokines, you have more arthritis, even right. not on the basis of you not being as, as conditioned. It literally is a hormonal influence or a, a protein influence from the muscle themselves. You know, so that's why you, even simple things like if I contract my muscle for three seconds, I actually throw off some myokines. So you right. can start teaching people to do real super simple things, you know, to, to go along that road. Um, right. You know. Right. Okay. What is something that my listeners can do starting today to help themselves avoid injury and avoid osteoarthritis? what can they do? Well, you know, I, I think that the number one thing to remember is that this is not an inevitable wear and tear disease. And that has got to be the paradigm shift yeah, I love that, that I want all of your listeners to really focus in on that. You do not, you know, it, it's so funny. I, I tell my patients, so, so they're like, Oh, my doc, my knee's been hurting. My doc wants me to go scope and he's just going to trim it up. And I'm like, okay, well, if you came in with dementia and I said to you, let's just take a look and trim out those bad parts of your brain. You'd think I was crazy, right? And yet people think it's perfectly okay to trim out the bad parts of cartilage and everything's going to be fine. It's ridiculous. So I said, you've got a paradigm shift. If you have joint pain, you have an inflammatory disease. It means you are in an inflamed state. It means you are at higher risk of heart disease, brain disease, metabolic disease. So that's the number one take-home lesson. This is not just wear and tear. It is an inflammatory disease and you have to treat the inflammatory disease. And how are you going to do that? So if you've got joint pain, you better, number one, you know, make sure you've got, you're getting your sleep, you're getting your deep sleep, your restorative sleep, you know, so using an aura ring or whatever it might be, you know, you know whoop band, whatever it might be, know what your deep sleep is, make sure you're getting eight hours of sleep. You've got to make sure you cut sugar out of your diet. You know, all the stuff you're preaching all the time, right? You've got to make right. sure you're eating a protein diet. You can add simple supplements in vitamin C, vitamin D. Um, I love epigallocatechins for their muscle building. Again, cancer protection, joint protection. So that's, you know, those are things you can do. We know that, you know, I know we're running out of time, but spermidine, which is one of my favorite supplements as well, which is a polyamine. Mine too. Actually, you know, okay. yeah. And, and it, it induces autophagy. So one of the things we know is that there's also damaged autophagy that, that car starts causing cartilage loss. So you also have to have to also encourage getting rid of bad cells. Bad cells damage other cells. We like to call them zombie cells. 
They should be dead. They're not. They spew proteins out that damage the cells around them. We know that now that damage people who don't kill off their damaged cells normally are at higher risk for arthritis. So using things like spermidine, at least at a periodic basis, to induce autophagy or fasting. Fasting induces autophagy, right? Intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating, easy, cheap ways to induce autophagy. So you've got to be doing that. And, you know, I would encourage people to think about hormones, right? To think and, you know, to not just ignore those as not a vital piece that, you know, work with somebody who understands hormones will convince you they're not a risk. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that, that, you know, it, it's, it's the stuff you preach every day, you know, so I, I, I'm not going to change that except to people to, to, you know, like, oh, I'm totally healthy, except I have bad knees. If you're totally healthy, your knees don't hurt. I have end stage arthritis in my knees. If you looked at my pictures, you'd be like, oh my God, you need joint replacements. My knees don't hurt. I can do anything with them, you know, because I have no inflammation in them. So that's the key, right? Is getting, is treating the inflammatory disease. And once you're there, well, then if you want, you know, if you want your knees to be better, then, then you can go back and do the regenerative therapies to try and make more cartilage or whatever it might be. But, you know, but getting inflammation under control and not ignoring the fact that joint pain is, it's just like you shouldn't ignore that your, your cognitive declining. If you've right. got joint pain, it's an issue. If you, I tell my clients this all the time, if you go to your doctor and he tells you that you're just getting old and this is just part of the way it is right. for you, just accept it and move on. That is not your doctor. It's horrible, right? It's, you know, yeah, go get a new doctor. <laughs> it, it, it like just yeah. kills me. And, and we, yeah. and we have a really big, you know, my parents died last year at the age of 92 and 96 and, you oh, know, sorry. and, and, um, and, and literally from about the age 80, like the doctors didn't even really they look at their labs and which were completely messed up and they go, it's fine. I'm like, because it really said, it doesn't really matter when you're 80 anymore, right? That, that your labs are crappy. So, you know, so never should we look at these, you know, no matter what age you are, should we look at these things as, oh, it's, that's normal for your age. It's not. Yep. Right. Yeah, I have had so many talks with my mom. She's 81 and she is rocking 81 and she yeah. had her micronutrient test. So she knows where her cell right. her right. nutrient deficiencies are. She eat, prioritizes her protein. She eats um, very, very low carb. I mean, and, you know, she's getting hair growth. Her skin looks great. She has muscle on her. She's just, she's rocking it. And I'm just yeah. so proud of her. It's so yeah. important. And it's so never, too, never too late to never start. Too late. Right. It's not never I mean, too yes, late. I have a lot of women who, you, who come in, you know, in their seventies, where I'm too old to start hormones. I'm like, no, you're not. I mean, start them right. now. It'd be better if you started earlier, but start them. These now, are, right? these are lifelong practices, right? Yeah. So yeah. my last fun question is what are your three top foods that you love and everyone should try to fit into their equation? You know, I, you know, I, that's always hard because, you know, obviously good fats, good proteins, but, mm -hmm. and, and no sugar, but the, 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 the top thing would be number one, less food. <laughs> we, need, we need a lot right. less food than we probably we think we need. Um, and what you're eating should be protein and fat based. I, you know, from foods I actually love, I, 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 salmon and sardines are huge, mm -hmm. great food sources. I think eggs are huge, great mm -hmm. food sources. Honestly, I think that eggs are, have so many nutrients. You know, you need, you need a lot of albumin as you age. It's protective to the blood brain barrier to have more albumin. It's a carrier molecule for your cells. So eggs are a great source of that. Um, you know, and, and so, so I, I really encourage eggs. I really encourage, you know, you know, salmon in, in, in all of my patients and then, you know, and then all those really good, you know, avocados, yeah. um, and, and, and nuts are, are, are all those good olive oils, all those really good fat sources, but you know, I, I don't like sardines, so I just, I can't eat them. But, you know, if you, if you 
eat them. They actually are a huge nutrient source. So yes. scallops, scallops contain something called plasmalogens, which are really good for our brain. So any kind of those sea scallops, things like that are really also really good for us. But you know, you can't sort of beat salmon as a, it's got you know, between the, yeah. except for you got to find radiation issues, but, um, <laughs> but, the, but, you know, for, for me as a, as a really good nutrient source. Yeah, those are great options. So um, I'm going to list in the show notes how to get in touch with you. And I've been on your site, Boulder Longevity Institute, and you've got some amazing, you've got blogs, you have other podcasts that you've been on talking about all sorts of topics. Um, But is there anything that you want to share that's new going on in um, your neck of the woods for yourself and your practice? Yeah, I mean, I think really what we're really trying to do, because you sort of realize changing doctors doesn't happen, but you know, as you know, this us growing as a force field, as a community, is huge, and so we're really trying to educate, educate the regular non-medical people like you would educate a doctor. And so with scientific data, and that's what we put together, BLI.academy. So if you guys go to BLI.academy and sign up. There's some free content yeah. there. That's actually a great arthritis talk. Listen to that arthritis talk because you'll understand exactly what I've been saying for this past hour. So to look at that arthritis tech, it shows you nice pictures to understand what these, what's happening and, and some simple approaches. And then this what to fix first course where you can guys go, okay, this will simplify it down to I'll do this and I'll do this and I'll do this and I'll do this. So go to that BLI.academy because we really are trying to allow people to get scientific based data. If you follow me at, at Dr. Yurth, I also, most of my Instagram posts, I'm looking for really cool new studies and kind of posting those to you. Yep. So, you know, I, I actually purposely do not work with any, I, 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 I'm on some scientific advisory boards, but all unpaid simply because I believe in their products, but not because I want to push them. I don't want to get paid anybody to pay me to do anything. And so I stay away from that. If I'm promoting something, it's because I truly believe in it. And I think even people are paid sometimes to do, but, um, but I'm trying to also give you guys a lot of scientific data. So I encourage you to just, you know, follow that and, and then look at the, uh, look at the Academy. Cause it's, it's kind of fun. And we actually do these monthly Q and A's live Q and A's where we just, you know, with all of our Academy members, where we toss around questions. And, um, so it's really interesting. Yep. I will list all of these, um, all of these points in the show notes. And Dr. Yurth, thank you so much again for all your time and your your energy and your just passion around all of this and um, really breaking it down in simple terms for us to understand because so many times we wanna understand this, but if you're coming from a non-medical space, it's it can be really overwhelming and intimidating and that's that can be a turnoff to a lot of people. So I appreciate your delivery on the information. Thank you so much for inviting me. Cause again, this is something I really want to get out there. And so I really appreciate it. And I appreciate what you're doing to help kind of spread this word. Love it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. All right. right. Take care guys. Thanks everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Lifestyle changes can be hard and overwhelming to make by building your support team of functional medicine, doctors, therapists, and health coaches you can reach your optimal health goals. Be sure to check out my other podcasts. Until we meet again, stay healthy.